Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. We're going to start from that verse, go all the way to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, all the way through verse 39. As many of you already know, we're starting a whole new series called What's New, because what's new is going to be what we're going to focus on for OCR, which is our Operation Campus Reach, as well as Operation uh, City Reach. And so we want to try to reach out to as many newcomers and guests in our church as possible. Praise God for what he did in the last day and a half. Uh, I, the leaders and I, we got together to pray. We're praying for you. We're praying for our campuses. We're praying for our city ministry. And we're preparing all the leaders and some new ones that we received to be able to lead you in life group and to minister to you throughout this coming year. So we're excited for all that. But as you're turning to that, uh, let me start off with this question. Is I'm wondering, I'm wondering how many of you, <coughs> sorry, uh, I think I don't know how many times I preached and talked throughout this whole week, and I hope I can survive uh, today. <coughs> and then we're going to do some more, two more training today. So praise God, we're excited. Well, anyway, I'm wondering if you have ever met someone with a strong opinion or a conviction about something that they really believed in. Go ahead and raise your hand. If you know somebody like that, okay, go ahead and raise your hand. Just somebody who's very opinionated, somebody who's very convicted about different things like Android or Apple or whatever else it may be where the best chashu is to, you know, buy, go there and eat. But it can range anything from a type of food to even some of the best hikes in Hong Kong. Every single one of us in this room, we have strong opinions about something. We have convictions about something. And I think one topic that has been very divisive uh, in some parts of the world, not all, but some parts of the world, is the issue of wearing masks or not to wear masks. It's no question here in Hong Kong, if you want to walk for the rest of your life, you got to wear a mask. And as you know, it's also the issue of vaccination. And I understand both sides. I understand where each side is coming from, and they have their reasons. But if you want to bring a heated argument, all you have to do is talk about wearing masks in the United States, or you got to talk about vaccination. And for some reason, the debate is just stronger in the West. Uh, United States, some places in Europe, and with so many people having such strong feelings about some of these things, we, we have to wonder, are we ever going to get along? What is it about some of these opinions and convictions that we have that we hold on to so dearly? So I wanted to show you this video that will give you a little bit of a history. Because a lot of times when you talk about it, it just doesn't make sense. Why are the people in the U.S., they're so stubborn? Why, why are they not wearing masks? They're stupid, you know? Find one more S, you know? It's shocking, all these S's. And so you got to kind of wonder, like, where did this all come from? So you have to understand a little bit about the history. So I want to show you this video. So we'll give you a little bit brief history of what happened in the States. And then now you see places around the world like Japan and some of these other places, why they themselves are wearing masks. So let's go ahead and watch this video together. That's why. It's the American rugged individualism. It's all about me. But in the Asian countries, it's not about me. 
but we think about others, our families, our communities. And I think this is one of the reasons why in the Asian countries that wearing masks is something that is accepted. It's not something that they feel the government is imposing, but it's something that is good. It's about loving people around us, especially many of you who have grandparents who are living at home. And so it's out of love that we do this. What is it about our opinions and convictions that oftentimes cuts, causes so much tension and as well as give us reason for some pause? And as we pause, sometimes we have to think about it. Is it good or is it bad? I think usually that popular definition of the word conviction, uh, it's really easy because we think about that word conviction in terms of you violate a law, and so now you are convicted under the court of law. And so I think we need to kind of look at it in a different way, and I want to talk about that because when you think about not only this situation, but even in the church, now, I'm going to show you another quick video because I, I think this is something that you all need to be aware of. And some of you are aware of this because it just hit the news, but sometimes it doesn't get all the way to Asia. But it's kind of interesting because there's a debate that's going on even in the church. The place where we're supposed to love people, there are still pastors and leaders who are saying that you should not wear masks. And so those of you who are familiar, there's a Tennessee pastor. His name is Pastor Greg Locke, and he has been on the news everywhere. And just recently, he has made the declaration, if you come to our church and you wear a mask, we're going to ask you to leave. We're the other way. If you don't wear a mask, then you're going to have to leave. So I want you to listen to this pastor who has strong convictions of what he believes and once again, it gives us reason, once again, to pause and to think. Is this right? Is this wrong? What does the Bible say? What are some of the convictions that you have? So when it's in the world, things are a little bit more clear at times. But when you're in the church and you're hearing from pastors, then the question is, what's right and what's wrong? So let's watch this together. confusing sometimes. The Merriman Dictionary, Western Dictionary, defines conviction as this. It's a strong persuasive or persuasion or belief. It is the state of being convinced. It is also the act of convincing a person or being convinced of error or of compelling the omission of a truth. I want to read you the Macmillan Dictionary. It defines it in this way. It's a strong belief or opinion about something. The feeling or appearance of being confident or very certain about something. Can I ask you, what are you convicted about? What are you holding on to as strong beliefs? 
What are some things that you're totally sold out and you believe this with all your heart? What is that? Especially as it comes to our relationship with God, can I ask you, are you convicted about his love for you? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt? Are you convinced that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that you have a means to be reconciled with God and that your sins are forgiven and now you're accepted by God? Are you convinced that you are a child of God and God is a father and we have this privilege of being in an intimate relationship with him? Are you convicted that because of your sins that you have been separated from God, but God in your lostness found you? I think all these questions remind us that without the strong conviction of who God is and about his love for us, we're going to struggle in our devotion to God. Listen to what the French Jesuit priest said, Jean Nicole Gru, in The Hidden Life of the Life of the Soul. He writes this, devotion is not passing, it's not a passing emotion. It's not something that you feel necessarily. It is a fixed, enduring habit of mind permeating the whole life and shaping every action. Think about that for a moment. It is shaping every single one of your actions because it goes deep into your life, who you are. It rests upon a conviction that God is the sole source of holiness and that our part is to lean upon him and be absolutely guided and governed by him. And it necessitates an abiding hold on him, a perpetual habit of listening for his voice within the heart as a readiness to obey the dictates of that voice. It's really about our relationship with God. It's about being intimate with God, hearing his voice, knowing what he's trying to speak to you about. And through that, it permeates deep within your life, and then you obey. You follow him with the convictions that God gives into your life. For some of us, this conviction about who God is and who we are, I think it's something that we believe in. But I'm praying that today as we start this new series, it will be a conviction that will be that much stronger. For some of you who've been to church most of your life, and maybe you fell away, or some of us who've just been to church, and we have a, a lot of head knowledge, but we haven't really experienced it in our hearts that has transformed our lives. Some of you might be a seeker, and you're here just to find out what is the truth. And I want to challenge some of you in that camp to be able to understand it today from the Word of God so that you can be convicted for sure that who God is and who you are, and what he has done for you. So let me talk about the one thing. This is the one thing that I want to remember. is simply this. If you look up here, it is that no matter what we go through, with God's love, there is a breakthrough. It doesn't matter what you're going to be facing in life. And this year, there might be a lot of trials and difficulties and hardships. So no matter what you go through with God's love, there will be a breakthrough. And we're praying that you will experience that today. So let me talk about, as we look into this Bible passage, uh, as we try to understand more about God's love, there are two things that we must experience with God's love if we're going to really see a breakthrough in light of everything that we're going to go through this coming year. The first thing is this. We must be secure in His love. That's the first thing that we have to understand about God's love and what it does and what it means to us. You have to be convicted that you can be secure 
if you understand God's love. Let's go ahead and read this passage. And this is a passage that some of you might have read before, but I want to put it in light of what we're talking about, these new convictions in our lives in Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start once again from verse 31, and then we're going to go ahead all the way down to verse 37, and then we'll just take different parts along the way. Listen to what it says. What then are we to say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up on behalf of all of us, is it possible that having given us his son, he will not give us everything else too? So who, bring, who will bring a charge against God's chosen people? Certainly not God. He is the one who causes them to be considered righteous. Who punishes them? Certainly not the Messiah Yeshua who died and more than that has been raised and is at the right hand of God and is actually pleading on our behalf. Who will separate us from the love of the Messiah? Trouble, hardships, persecution, hunger, poverty, danger, war. As it says, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are conquerors through the one who has loved us. I know some of you are probably wondering, what is he reading? Uh, I was reading from a different translation, but you get the gist of it. But let me go ahead and expound on these six, seven verses so that we can understand how we must be secure in God's love. See, the Apostle Paul, as you start off this section, he starts off with asking the question, what then shall we say to these things? The first thing you should be thinking about, to what things? What is he referring to? Because when you look at Book of Romans all the way through chapter 1 through chapter 7, in these seven chapters, you will notice that he's building a case for the gospel. He's talking about how every single one of us is without an excuse. We have sinned against God. And because we have sinned against God, that we have been separated from God. And the wrath of God is upon us. He says the wages of sin is death. And anyone who has sinned against God, they are now in debt to their sins. And God has to now claim it. And we're going to be punished for this sin. He's building this argument. Highlighting the gospel truths. And then he talks about Jesus Christ and what he has done. And through faith in him, now we have eternal life. That he has poured out his love into our hearts. That's why therefore there's no condemnation who are those in Christ, those people who are in Christ Jesus. And even this gospel message, there are times when some people might die for those who are righteous, but for an unrighteous person, for a sinner, somebody that you hate, somebody that should be punished, who would die for them? But he argues, but Christ, Jesus Christ, came into this world and died for people like you and I, sinners. And then he talks about now because of our new standing with God, he poured out his spirit in us that we could call him Abba Father, that he is our intimate God because of Jesus Christ. And he talks about the life that we live now, we should live in the power of God, not in ourselves. So he's expounding all this in these some chapters. Some of you know that famous verse in verse chapter 8, verse 28, where as you're going through difficulties in your life, he also reminds them that God is working out all things according to his purpose. To those he loves and who have been called by his purpose, he's going to work it out for our good and for his glory. So after sharing all this, 
This is when we come to chapter 8, verse 31. So the question is, what things? Well, what you just shared, all these things, who we are in Christ because of Jesus Christ. And this is the reason why when you look at verse 31 through 35, he now begins to ask a series of questions. I want you to just note this. There will be five specific questions that he's asking, and there will be five specific answers to those questions. Now, let me say this. He is not curious. It's not because he is uncertain. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's convicted. He knows this beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's just speaking to those who will be reading this letter, who's wondering to themselves, is God really good? Does God really love me? Does God really care about me? Especially with going through all the persecution and all the hardships and everything that I'm facing in my life, is God really for me? Is he good? So Paul, thinking about the situation, he's like, you're probably thinking about these questions. And with every single one of these questions, I'm going to speak the truth into your life. So let's look at these five questions. The first one is this. And, and the thing that he's trying to communicate, the first thing is that God allies with us. He is an ally. He is for us and he is with us. In verse 31b, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So that's the question he's asking. If God is for us, who could be against us? Listen to some of these other translations, and you can read the yellow section with me out loud. Listen to what it says in the, the Passion Translation. It says, if God has determined to stand with us, tell me who then could ever stand against us. I'm wondering how many of you are facing a lot of things that are standing against you. It might come in the form of maybe your boss or your co-workers. Maybe it's your roommate situation. Maybe someone in your class. Like there will be people who will stand against you. They will mock you. They will even wonder, why do you believe in this Christianity? How can you prove that it's true? And what does it say? It says that God, he actually stands with us. He's for us, not against us. He's an ally. Listen to some of these other translations. The voice translation says this. If God is on our side, then tell me, whom shall I fear? Or whom shall we fear? Now, I want you to think about this. Whenever people are against you, it always produces fear. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose friends? What about my relationship with my parents? What will other people think of me? It is amazing how many people who call themselves Christ followers live by fear. Will God take care of me? Will he really provide? When will I ever get married? Maybe I did something wrong. Like these are the kind of thoughts that go through some of our minds on a daily basis. Something bad happens like, oh my God, does God hate me? And every single time when you're trying to grow in your relationship with God, something in life happens that causes you to wonder if God is for you. And it causes fear, anxiety. But if God is for you, whom shall you fear? Listen to this other translation in the message. It says, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? I don't know about you, but I want to be on the winning team. Amen? It just stinks when you're on the losing team. You play basketball, any other sports. If you're on the losing team, it stinks. But when you win, it feels good. 
And when you got Jesus on your team, you know you're going to win. So it feels real good. And that's something that I, feel, I think many of us, we forget. That God is our ally. He's with us. He's for us. So every single time you go through the day and there are difficult, difficult things and different things that you go through, you got to remember, he's for me, not against me. This is how you become secure in his love. You believe in the sovereignty of God, that all that he's doing, that he's being providential, that he is providing for you. He's working out all things for you. That's why all throughout the Bible, those prepositions for and with, and when it's attached to God, you'll see it again and again that God is with us, that God is for us. You have to believe that he's our ally every single day, and that's why we can live without fear. Perfect love, what? Cast out all fear. The second thing is this. Not only does God allies with us, but God advantages us. He gives us an advantage. The question, the second question in verse 32 is, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So the argument here is from the lesser, listen to me carefully, is from the lesser to the greater. This is very important. Jesus does this all the time. He always argues a point by talking about from the lesser to the greater. So the argument is simply this. If God gave us his best, his ultimate best, which is his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins and my sins, if he gave us his best, while we were all messed up, we didn't deserve this grace, we didn't deserve this love, and he made us into a child of God, then why in the world would you ever think that he will not provide for whatever you need in this world? That's the argument. And you, you will understand this when you put it in the context of parenting and even from a child's perspective. It's amazing because when you know that your parents love you and they give you the best, there's something inside of you that begins to build trust and you realize, wow, they really love me and they're not wanting to withhold anything because they're, they're, they're willing to give everything that they have. And I could testify this to my parents. My parents, they're getting older now and I really do want to see them. I, you know, I just contact them through cacao and different things like that, but one of the things that uh, I always think back and I'm always so blessed by is I really struggled a lot when I was a teenager. Some of you guys know I grew up in Chicago and in some of the areas that are not that great. But then my parents finding out that there was a school up in the suburbs, up north, the north of Chicago, where they send the most people to Ivy League schools. So you know how Korean parents are. They dropped everything and said, we're moving there. And so that's what happened. We, our whole family, we ended up leaving Chicago, the, the city proper, and we ended up moving up into the suburbs. So it'll be like someone who lives on the island, they decided to leave, live in Fanling or somewhere away up there where their air is cleaner and things are more greener. And I remember that was one of the hardest transitions that I went through. 
because I didn't know who I was because in Chicago, there are a lot of minorities. What's up, man? You know, you, you, you know you're just connecting with everyone who's a minority. But now in the suburbs, I was one of the five, you can count them on your hand, Asians in that school. But not only that, but all of them were wealthy. We're talking about they had million-dollar homes. They had swimming pools, tennis courts in their homes. So you could kind of tell I was struggling with my own insecurity. I was a, just a small little high school student. I'm still kind of small, but, you know, here I am, a high school student. And I remember my friends would have all these designer whatever, and I, I wanted that, I wanted this. And then my parents, they, they worked in a store in the south side of Chicago. And I remember as a spoiled little brat, I'd be like, Mom, Dad, buy this for me. And they go, we cannot. Or sometimes they would say, how much is it? Or what is it? And I would explain to them, and they go, oh, that's so much. And then I would get all upset. And one time, my mom just knocked some sense into me. Well, she didn't hit me, but she just knocked some sense. Because what she said was this. For that very thing that you want, I have to sell 100 earrings. Because back then, you know, the earrings that you ladies wear, my parents, will have, my parents had like a jewelry, dollar store type of thing, wigs and hats and bags. They sold like a kind of like one of those variety shop kind of place. And what she would say was for every dollar, she would have to sell an earring. And as, as I paused and I thought about that, I just realized, wow, for everything that I've ever received, my parents, they worked hard. They've given a lot. And that's when I began to realize there is nothing my parents would not give me because they've given so much of themselves and their best. I'm just wondering for some of us in this room that you have forgotten that Jesus Christ was given to us as a gift by God the Father, the greatest sacrifice in the whole wide world. And so if you believe that, and you know that, that God gave you his best, then what is it in this world that he will not give you if it's in the will of God? That's the argument that Paul is trying to make. If God gave us his best, then everything else, if it's within his will, he has no problem giving it to us because he already proved it by giving us his best. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's constantly trying to remind us that he's working things out for our advantage. He's, gonna, he's not going to put us in a situation that Satan's going to win. He's not going to put us in a situation where we might just give up, but he wants, he's working. He's sending people your way. He's doing things in your life so you can get to a point where you realize that, man, I have this advantage because he has given me the best. Why would he not give me everything else? The third thing is this, not only God allies with us and he advantages us, but the third thing is that he accepts us. The next question, the third question, is who shall bring any charge against God's elect or God's chosen one? It says it is God who justifies. You know what that word means? It means to be made right, to be declared innocent. So who's the one 
that justifies us, that declares us innocent. Because all of us in this room, we all know we're guilty before God. We sin with other people. We sin against other people. Sometimes we sin against just even ourselves and we think that somehow we can get away with it. But here is God saying that I am the only one who could justify you before a holy God. Listen to what the Passion Translation says of that question. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them, not guilty. How many of you have ever been in court? Okay, you don't want to raise your hand. You're like, oh, I don't want to. I'll raise my eye hat. And I'm telling you, no matter how cool you think you are, when you're in that court, you're like, holy moly. Because your whole life and your destiny is right before you because that judge can say you're guilty or that judge can pardon you so that you'll be set free. And when you come into the court of God's law and you think about all that you have done against God in your sinfulness, in your rebellion, in your self-centeredness, and you come before God's court, there is nothing that you can say, but God, I did my soap. But God, I went to church. I signed up early on Monday night. I beat everyone else. That's what I'm here. Some of you can come up with all the, I helped that poor person. I gave some money to that lady who's, who's uh, with the cardboard boxes. You can flaunt all your good works. The Bible tells us that even our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. But that's who we are. We're so human paradigm minded that we think that somehow all our good works can offset all the sin in our lives. Now you have to remember in God's court of law, it's not just sin of commission, what you have committed, but it's a sin of omission. Things that God told you to do, but you did not do. When God says love one another, huh, but Lord, you don't know my roommate. God, did you see that mound of dishes that he never cleans? Lord, come into my bathroom and look. This is a result of my roommate. How, Lord, can I love someone like this? But you're guilty as charged because God says to love. It's not love when they're lovable. But sometimes the hardest thing is to love people that are unlovable. Every single one of us, no matter who you are, how righteous you think you are, how many times you've gone to church, the Bible reminds us that we are guilty as charged. And can you imagine you're coming into God's court and you're thinking to myself, oh my goodness, all the stuff that I did, all the stuff I didn't do that I should have done, and you're thinking I'm guilty. And all of a sudden God declares you as not guilty. Why? It's because of Jesus. Something like that happened recently. Not in the court of law. But my wife, uh, she was getting ready. She's uh, in the States now and trying to help Carissa, our youngest one, move into university. And, man, all I'm doing is watering plants and just making sure the house is not going down. (laughs) 
and I, I'm, I'm, t I'm telling my kids or my family, we have a group chat. I'm just like, send me pictures. <laughs> you know, send me pictures. Because I know they're going to be eating all the good stuff, Chicago stuff. You know what I'm saying? Chicago-style hot dog, deep dish pizza, gyros, Italian beef with peppers on that. Mm. You know, so I, I'm like, just send me the pictures. I'll live vicariously through you guys. My wife contacted me on my personal radio. She goes, can you, can you do me a favor? She goes, I need you to call the hotel. Because before when she reserved it, it was only for 14 days. But then she wants to change it for 21 days. So she needs to do that before she leaves or she cannot return. And so she was teaching. She was at work. So I said, fine, I, I can take care, care of that for you. And I said, I will make an offer that they cannot refuse. My wife simply says, use your gift for the glory of God, for the good, not evil. I go, I, I, don't worry. <laughs> I can persuade people. I call them up, busy. Call them, and so I literally for about 20, 30 minutes, I've been calling. No answer. By this time, I'm getting agitated. Because here I am, I am trying to stand on behalf of my wife so we can get this hotel thing all set, settled out. Finally, I talked to this person. They're like, hello? And I just knew from his voice, he's not the one. <laughs> Before we go on, let me fully apologize. And also, I have repented of my attitude. I just knew that this person was not going to be the person who's going to make decisions. Because what I've done in the past is simply, I, I've been through this process. You talk to one person, they go, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't make that decision. Let me, let me rewire you. Let me reconnect you with somebody else. And then they reconnect me to somebody else. And I'm explaining the whole thing for another three, four minutes. And they go, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me reconnect you. I've been there. So I know what's going on. So I simply said, hello. I go, can you connect me to the person who has absolute authority to make a decision? We don't wear no mask. You know, anyway. <laughs> the Americans. America. <laughs> and so, so I'm like, give me the person who can make the ultimate decision. Give me authority. I said, give me someone with power. Okay, you know, can you tell me a little bit what's going on? So I just told him, bottom line is we need to get the dates right. And it's off, and you have not sent a confirmation. So then finally directed me to somebody. And they're like, hello? Then I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I said, are you the person who can make absolute decisions, the ultimate decision? And he said, yes, I am. So then I began to tell the story. And then as he then said, let me, what's your confirmation number? I can hear it all in the background. And then he looks it up, and then all of a sudden he goes, oh, it seems like there was a mistake. Did you reserve it for 40 days? I'm like, 40 days? <laughs> I go, no. We did it for 14. And then now we're trying to extend it to 21 because that's the government quarantine laws now, the policy. And so he goes, yeah, I don't know why, but we have you for 40 days, and you canceled it. I'm like, no. I go, put, put us back on the 14th and on the 21st. And to kind of alleviate the tension, because I could feel that, I go, 
because if you don't, my wife will kill me. He's like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> so, so that's when I realized in Hong Kong, it's the women who run the show, you know? <laughs> so I said, yes, can you take care of it? Because my wife might kill me. He's like, ha, ha, ha. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> And so he's typing up some more stuff I hear in the background. He goes, and I said, uh, can you t give me a, a confirmation email? I need that because for my wife. And I go, what is your name? One of these days, I want to teach a class on just how to learn how to negotiate. And so you got to get their name because it's about accountability. And as soon as they give you their name, they feel connected to you. They know my name. So I got his name. I'm not going to tell you his name because <laughs> I got his name. Once I got his name, I kept on calling his name. Really appreciate so-and-so. Thank you so much, so-and-so. Okay, so-and-so, so you're going to send that email, so-and-so. <laughs> Contact Christina. I said, I took care of it. He's going to send a confirmation email before 12. I go, if he does not, contact me again. It was one o'clock. She goes, I have not received it. <laughs> I finally got him again. But this person was busy because he was walking around doing all this other stuff because in light of, we didn't know it was back to school, flights, and it was crazy. We finally got him back, and I said, we've been waiting for the confirmation email. Oh, oh, that one, yeah, it's on your way. And I said, listen, that's what you said earlier. And I said, I am standing for my wife. And I told you she might kill me if I don't take care of them. <laughs> Can you please take care of it as soon as possible? He goes, yes, yes, yes. Then my wife contacts me about 20, 20 minutes later. He goes, I got it. Why am I sharing this story? There are times when you try to do everything and stand, and you realize it cannot be done. You need someone to step in on your behalf to be able to represent you. And this is the reason why when we think about going into God's court of law, and we know deep inside we are guilty. There's nothing that we could flaunt, nothing we could present, nothing we can say that will declare us as innocent. But when we have Jesus on our side, he stands for us. Can I get a good amen to that? That's why we are secure. That's why we know it's going to be done. That's why... We have nothing to be anxious about. Satan will do everything possible to accuse us, tell us something different, something that we're not. But we to remember that God accepts us. And not only does he accept us, this goes into my fourth question, or Paul's fourth question, is that he advocates for us. The next question is, who is to condemn? Of course, Satan, my parents. My friends, other people, they're constantly condemning me. They're constantly judging me. And what he says is that even if Satan or anybody condemns you, that you are not only accepted by God, but you, are, you have this advocate. He's advocating for you. 
He has forgiven you of your sins. He has restored you. In fact, it says he is interceding for you. I don't know about you, but if there is a person like that in my life, I will be so confident and so secure. But I look at so many Christians in our church and different Christians that I meet, and you realize how insecure they are. You are the child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Come on, I want you to turn to somebody and say, you are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, turn to somebody. If you genuinely believe that, and not just in your head, in your head knowledge, but you believe it in your heart, the question once again is, why are we so afraid? Why are we so insecure? If you know that he allies with you, he's making, he's giving you the advantage. He accepts you. He advocates for you. It allows you to rest secure, trusting in him. And the fifth and last one is this. He affirms us, that God affirms us. Lastly, Paul asks, who shall separate us from the love of God, for the love of Christ? You have to understand that there is this possibility of us failing God. Listen to me. But there's never a possibility of God failing us. Can I get a good amen to that? There's a really high probability that we're going to fail God. But there's zero percent that God will ever fail you. That's why when we look at all the list of things that can pull us away from God, that list that he mentions, this is very important because when you think about this, these are things that tugs at your heart, that pulls you away from the truth. And let me read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. Think about it. Look at that list. If some of us start facing some trouble, what do we do? We start doubting. Okay, God, thank you so much. I'll take it from here, because you haven't really done anything really for me. When you're hungry, when you don't know where things will be provided for, and from whom, Instead of trusting in God, we trust in ourselves. We're self, a self-made man or self-made woman, and so we don't trust in God. We turn to ourselves. Destitute, in danger, we turn to ourselves. But what God is saying is, I affirm you. Like, I want you to know that no matter what you go through, what you face, nothing will separate you from my love. God will be there through the difficulties of life. And he's just affirming us and reminding us that he will never fail. Everyone say that God will never fail. Come on. God will never fail. That's why he says we are more than conquerors. In other translations, super conquerors. Like we're, we're, we, we could face anything. And it is through him, not us, but we're conquerors because through him who loved us, it's because of his love. We must be secure in his love. You know what the second thing is? And it's just in these two quick verses. It's simply that we must be steadfast in his love. Let me just finish off with these two verses. 
and it's just going to be a rehash of what we just talked about. So it's going to be a short point, but something for us to think about here. Listen to what it says in verse 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to look at that phrase in verse 38, for I am sure. Everyone say that, for I am sure. That phrase is translated as, for I am persuaded. I am convinced. I am 100% sure. I am convicted. Then in all these things, neither height nor depth, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God. This signifies, for I am persuaded as a strong, affectionate persuasion. Like, they, you know this. You know why? Because it comes from an experience, a genuine experience of God's love. You know, I, I'm amazed every single time I get to meet different people in our church, especially during the first wave of our couple months of every new year, September, October. Because some of them are trying to decide, is this the right church for me? So sometimes they will make an appointment and, you know, they'll meet up. And so it's a great time just to be able to get to know some of the people who are coming out and checking our church. And it's really interesting because when I'm listening to their testimony, sometimes they'll kind of give me a little bit of their life-stimony, which is their life testimony. And they're just saying something like, oh, I grew up in the church. And all of a sudden, my radar goes super high. What's even worse is when they go, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a deacon's kid, an elder's kid. Do you know why? Or my parents serve in the choir. <laughs> I grew up in the church. Do you know how many people are deconstructing their Christianity now? There are some people who are followers of Christ and says, you know what? I'm not a follower of Christ anymore. And I began to see, or start seeing a pattern because I'm, I'm all about observing and I try to connect dots. You know what that pattern is? The pattern is very simple. That they've been told something that they did not really believe, but they just did it because they were told to. They had doubts, but they never wrestled through with those doubts. They were not convinced. They didn't have the full understanding. So what happens? They think their high school faith is going to help them to survive in college. So they go into college thinking, oh, well, I'm a Christian because I went to church all my life. But you could tell that they don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So they come to college and all of a sudden a whole plethora of things, of sin, temptation, and trying to find themselves in the midst of the sea of all this confusion and all these voices. They begin to then what? Totally turn away from God. And usually when I think about some of these people and some of these situations, when they say, you know what, I've given up on God, I've turned away from God. And not always, but usually, I've noticed that they are living in sin or they're doing something that's not good. I'm pausing here for a dramatic pause to let that sink in. 
If all your life you've been told that God loves you and he forgives you, he accepts you, he affirms you, he advocates for you, he's an ally to you, and all you know it is in your brain, and you've never experienced that in your life, and all of a sudden you come into college or even the single working adult life or some of you who move from one city to another where your community is no longer there and you're all alone, you're all by yourself. When you're in this new setting, all of a sudden, everything that you know up here does not translate into your heart. So then you begin to engage in sin. You begin to do a lot of different things. And guess what happens? What you know about God's forgiveness, his acceptance, it's just up here. But what you feel is God doesn't love me. I've sinned against God. He will never accept me. So why should I even try? If some of you are in that situation, let me just say to you, just one thing. God hasn't given up on you. Can I get a good amen to that? He hasn't. You being in this room just testifies that he hasn't given up on you. You having a friend, a roommate, somebody who's a believer and they're reaching out to you just testifies that he hasn't given up on you. What you need is that information in your head to just rush down like a, like a terabyte connection. It just goes into your heart. A G6. Once we get to G7, and we can sing different songs. <laughs> it's no longer 5G. Now we're getting to 6G. And that speed will come down. And when it comes to your heart, it will transform your life. And once you experience it, you can be convinced and convicted more than anything else. That's why when you see people who genuinely experience the gospel, they're crazy. Everyone say crazy. They're crazy. Cray, cray, whatever you want to say, they're crazy. Why? Because when you think about them, they're willing to, they're fearless. They don't care about what people think. They're willing to lay down their life. It's why, because there's nothing in this world that they are more certain and more persuaded, more convicted than the fact that God loves them. And until we experience that, for us, we will never grow. And that's why in verse 39, it seems that it said Paul is covering almost everything you could throw at him. Huh, it's kinda, if you look at that list again, can we, can we look at that verse? I, I, I want you to look at something. Verse 38 and 39. I, I want you to know that it's the extremes. So when he says death, what's the other extreme of death? Life. Angels, demons. Present, future. Powers, Satan, or the powers of this world, or God's power, height, depth, anything else in all created order. So what? listen to me. What God is trying to say through the Apostle Paul is there is nothing. Everyone say nothing. Nothing. There is nothing in this created order that will separate you from the love of God. I don't care what kind of sin you have committed. I don't care what you're going through right now. I don't care what you have gone through. It doesn't matter what you have faced in your life. But it says here nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we must be steadfast in his love.
So once again, the one thing is that no matter what we go through with God's love, there's what? A breakthrough. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you've been through. But with God's love, there will always be a breakthrough. And I pray that breakthrough will come with the opening of your heart and experience God's love and power once again. That will give you the security, and then that's where you will be steadfast in his love. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, good reminder, but now what? Well, this is my challenge to all of you. If you just listen and walk out of here and live your same life, you're going to live the same life. you got to take steps towards change. And that's why this is the beauty of the gospel message that simply says that you and I, in our own power and strength, cannot change. And that's why in his mercy and grace, he reached out to us. And how did he do that? He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. So that now that you, you have an advocate, now you can stand before God and he accepts you because it's of Jesus Christ. So what do you need to do? Well, that's the thing. It's already been done. All you need to do is respond in faith to say, I don't know about this fully, but I want this. So open up my heart, open up my mind so I can receive. To those of you who are believers, let me also just give you some things to help you because once again, sometimes the people who struggle with this the most are Christ followers. The first thing is this. Recite a truth mantra. Whoa, 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 pastor. Are we going into the, um, what are you talking about? If you want, you can put an adage, a motto. When I say recite it, that means you should have a phrase that's within one sentence that you can say to remind you that you are secure in Christ and that you need to be steadfast in that love. So it could be something as simple as, I am a child of God because God is my father. I don't know what it is that you struggle with, but come, out, come up with a mantra. Come up with a model. Say something that every single time you're struggling, you're sinning, when you start doubting, you can say this, and you can say it on a literally drop of a dime or a Hong Kong dollar, and the drop of a Hong Kong dollar, you can be like, I got it. That I'm sinful, but I'm dearly loved. Whatever. It, it could be short as that. It could be a little bit longer. But come up with a phrase that you will say to yourself every single time you start fearing or you start doubting if God loves you. The second thing is this. Remember the cross. Because it is only through the cross that we have this relationship with God. And the cross, when Jesus died, he said, it is finished. It's done. You don't need to add anything more to it. Salvation is purchased for us because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So, Stop striving, stop trying all this stuff, but just remember the cross, and I think that's going to help you. Because when you think about the gruesomeness of the cross, you start thinking about how serious sin is, that Jesus had to die that way for our sins. So remember the cross. The third thing is this. Remind Satan of his future. Every single time that you're tempted, or every time you struggle, or you hear these whispering lies, you just say, stop. In the name of love. No, you say stop. And then you remind him of his future. And then you just go. <laughs> Satan, you've been defeated. The very thing that you could use to get to us, 
Jesus Christ overcame because he resurrected from the dead. Think about a bee. I love this illustration. You, you might have heard it before. How many of you guys are scared of bees? Raise your hand. Come on, be, be, be honest, okay? <laughs> Do you know why it's so scary? Some of you are like, it's just scary, pastor. How many of you guys are scared of flies? Okay, some of you out here are even scarier of flies. But think about it. The bee, the reason why it's so scary, because they have what? A stinger. Where if it pokes you, then you, some people are allergic. They can die. That's why we're afraid. But if you look at 1 Corinthians, what did Paul say? He goes, oh, death, where is your sting? Guess who took that stinger upon himself? It was Jesus. So now it's just this, I don't want to call it a reptile. What do you call that? Insect. It is now this insect that's flying around with no power. Are you with me? Satan's stinger is gone because Jesus resurrected from the dead. So he already knows he's dying. He already knows he's going to be vanquished. He already knows things are not going to turn out well for him. So you need to remind him. So when you remind him, then it gives you confidence. Here's the fourth. Rely on God through prayer. We're praying that there will be a deeper prayer culture that will come in our church. Rely upon him through prayer. And lastly, respond with gratitude. Respond with gratitude. Every single time when you're struggling with God's love, as you think about the cross, as you remind Satan of his future, you have to say, wow, God, you actually love a person like me. And out of that gratitude of your heart, may praise and thanksgiving overflow. And if you live like that, I'm telling you right now, this conviction that you are loved by God you will, be so, you will be on fire. You will be so excited because you realize that this love that you always knew about in your head has now come to your heart and it will transform your life. I pray that many of you who've been going to church or grew up in the church, you know it up here. I pray that it will come down to your heart and it will light your life on fire. May we live for God because of what he has done for us. And may his love bring us security and the steadfastness that we have never experienced before. May this be the new conviction as we start this new year that we're convicted about God's love for us. Let's stand together as we close. I'm going to ask us just to bow our heads for a moment. You can close your eyes. Why don't you just take a deep breath? Can you do that? Just take a deep breath. That breath that you just took was given to you by God. That He has a purpose for every single one of you. That's why you're here on this earth. And God is doing everything possible to show you how much He loves you. And I know it's hard to really believe it, especially when you're living in sin or maybe you messed up. But if there was another way to go to heaven by your good works, by another religion, by anything else, then yeah, you have choices. But if there's no other way, and the only way is through Jesus Christ, then you have to 
resign and surrender at this moment and say, God, I cannot do it. And what you need to do is just start praying to God and say, God, open up my heart. Open up my mind. Open up my life. The power of the gospel, as it's been said so many different times, is that you are more sinful than you will ever know. Some of us, we don't think we're that sinful because we compare ourselves with other people. We're such a nice person. I haven't done anything wrong. I've been trying to help the poor. I've been doing all this stuff. But you are more flawed and sinful and weak than you will ever know. But other side of the gospel says, but we are so deeply loved more than we could ever imagine. Because there's a doubt inside of us in light of who I am, in light of my struggles, in light of my hardships, God, do you really love me? And the gospel says that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. He is passionate about you. He is pursuing you. And that's why unless you are convicted and convinced and persuaded and know for certainty that he loves you, you're going to go through life just being religious, you're going to be doing a lot of different things, but it's not going to be the fuel, the rocket fuel that you need to fly. That's why when you think about so many people living with purpose and there's so much joy in their hearts, they're serving God, it's because they have tangibly experienced the love of God. I am praying right now that you will experience this, not only today, but you'll experience this every day and throughout this coming year. That the Holy Spirit will go beyond all your weaknesses, all your sinfulness, everything that you have, you can lay before God. And then you'll see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, advocating for you, interceding for you, saying, God, Father, here's my son, here's my daughter that I died for. They are not guilty any longer. Just let us sink into your hearts. Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus for every single person. In the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray that you will awaken their hearts. Help them to realize, Lord, that what they understand of your love is just a small, little, minuscule, a particle, an atom of the love you have for us. Come, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts to you that we can experience this love that is deep and wide and high and long. Come, Holy Spirit. Show us. Speak to us. Today, before we leave, as we start OCR, some of you are going to be participating. Let's not leave this place unless we can leave here 100% convicted with this new conviction of God's love for us. That's what's going to make us, motivate us to share the gospel, to talk to strangers, to love people, to reach out to them. It's not because we're good people. It's because we've experienced the love of God. Love people, love people. Found people, find people. He doesn't need your service. He doesn't need anything from you. But he gives us the privilege of participating in something that is awesome. 
And I'm praying that this coming year, every single one of us will experience that. So can I ask us just for the next minute or so, I want you to commune and talk with God. Communicate with Him. If some of you are doubting His love, say, just say it. Say, God, I'm doubting your love. Show me your love. Convince me. Some of you might have to repent because you've lived in sin and you know that He loves you, but you're just taking it for granted. Repent of that. Some of us have gone through some difficult things where we're questioning, does He even love me? How can He love me? How can He be such a good God if all these things have been have happened in my life. And I just want you to say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to trust in you. Just make that confession and let's let prayers rise up in this place. And then we'll respond and worship and say, God, I am reminded of your love. I'm relying upon through prayer that God, no matter what we go through, because of your love, there's going to be a breakthrough. Come on, let's just lift up our voices all over this place right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.